This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You've got to have the right case because if you take it up and it's the wrong case, then you can make some really bad law that's going to affect a lot of plaintiffs. There's always an answer. The joy is in finding. One of the reasons that I love being a lawyer is this exact process. The way we live our life has nothing to do with the presentation sequence at trial. As trial lawyers, we pick up and move on and keep going. You're losing or gaining one out of every 10 jurors, which can really make a huge difference in the ultimate result of the case. Whatever you think about, you create. Learn all you can and never stop. And then have the guts to try case after case after case. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have attorney Michael Amgetta from McAllen, Texas. Michael is a fantastic lawyer, has had multiple seven and eight-figure both verdicts and settlements, including a $33 million verdict, a $22 million settlement. Uh, and he recently had a just monster uh, settlement in what was actually legally a fairly tough case. And so he agreed to come on and talk about, you know, what he does and how he does it and hope that, that the rest of us can get some of those big numbers too. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into doing plaintiff's work? Right out of law school. I got married the Saturday before law school started. Wow. So I was married all throughout law school. My wife was pregnant with our firstborn when I was taking the bar. So there was a little bit of pressure. And I had a, uh, a job with an all-state defense firm in McAllen waiting for me. Moved back to McAllen before I passed the bar and, and quickly terminated from, from that job. <laughs> uh, it just didn't work out. I wasn't, wasn't where my heart was. And uh, it's a firm in McAllen that goes through a lot of people. It's a training ground for a lot of lawyers. I, I won't mention the name. And then uh, I had to start making money because I had a mortgage and a baby and started taking court appointments and actually had over 100 jury trials as a court-appointed defense lawyer. Oh, wow. And uh, tried cases all over South Texas, a lot of cases and checkpoint cases in Brooks County when they used to, we used to try dope cases there, sometimes two, three a month. So I had over 100 (laughs) verdicts. And so far, our checkpoint, I mean, our listeners around the country, that's where there's a checkpoint about 100 miles from the border where they catch a lot of people trying to smuggle drugs or aliens. Right. And so in those days, if you were on a Greyhound bus or a truck driver and you had less than 50 pounds of marijuana, uh, they the feds wouldn't take it. And they'd refer it to Brooks County, which is a rural county north of the valley. And that judge would uh, set them off for trial. And, and if you had some some defendant that didn't give a confession, number one, you could probably usually win those cases because it's hard to prove whose dope it was on a bus or if it wasn't their vehicle or they didn't have yeah. it. So we've tried, I've tried a, a ton of criminal cases, over 100 verdicts. Um, and then one day I got an appointed guardian ad litem in this huge case uh, it involved a decapitation death of two plumbers in Plainview, Texas, in the panhandle, where the record verdict on a death case was $70,000. But this Walmart truck had um, come out of a McDonald's parking lot, and it was a side underride, and these two plumbers got decapitated uh, on their way to work. And there was three great lawyers involved in the case. Uh, Frank Herrera out of San Antonio. Mr. Edwards, Bill Senior, and uh, Mr. Perry out of Corpus. David Perry, yeah, great lawyers. They, they all great lawyers that were representing the families of these two guys who had been killed. And in, in those days, this was probably 1995. You could establish venue by where the plaintiffs lived. So these guys quickly moved the survivors from Pampa, Texas, and the in the Panhandle to Falfurious, Texas, and they filed the lawsuit against Walmart. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it was Walmart, or some other big box store uh, in Brooks County, and they settled it for a huge number. 
And I was appointed guardian ad litem for some of these minor children. And I'll never forget, um, as, as long as I live, really, I was on a conference call with Mr. Uh, these, these two great lawyers and a young lawyer who's actually younger than me named Michael Watts, who was working for David Perry at the time. There was a debate on how they were going to draft the Stowers demand. And, and Mr. Edwards, Mr. Hedetto were arguing. Somebody brought up this case about how to write the Stowers demand. And, and this young guy who I'd never heard of says, well, I actually wrote that, uh, Ghost wrote that opinion. <laughs> so, uh, let me tell you how I think we should do it, gentlemen. And they took his lead. And so uh, that's how I met Michael Watts. And then soon thereafter, I had a Firestone case uh, with, a, with a lawyer out of Macau named Rick Garcia, another fine lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and then so we worked with Watts on that case. And then I opened Watts's office for him in McAllen and did that for 10 years and then went on my own. So I learned a lot from a lot of great. Absolutely. And of course, I'm sure working with Michael for 10 years was a good way to cut your teeth. It really opened my horizons. Uh, you know, I was amazed at, at what he did and what he taught me I could do. Yeah, that is a, a, a great thing that you just brought up, because it's one thing to say, well, this is a great lawyer. They can do great things. And, and so-and-so is a great lawyer and they can do things. But how did you learn that you could do great things? I, I have a lot of faith. I'm a really a, a spiritual guy. And uh, I try to keep a close relationship with, uh, with our creator. And so I just had the confidence that, that I could do it. And I, I'd seen that other people who didn't, weren't much sharper than I was, or, you know, and it's, it's really, you know, you know, Watts used to say, it's not rocket science. You know, you just have to have the risk tolerance and you got to put in the hours. And so I would put in 20 hour days. And I was afraid of failure more than anything else. Yeah. And, and it started happening. Well, not too afraid of failure, because if you're too afraid of failure, you either don't do contingent work or you sell everything, you know, without getting full value. Yeah, I am afraid of failure more. That's always been my motivator more than the, the brass ring. Really? Yeah. So what did you do besides just working for Michael? What did you do to build your skills? We, well, we tried a lot of cases. And, um, and, and with his outfit, he said he'd give you a file and say, you know, if you want to get paid, bring it to resolution or trial. And, and one of the things that he would do to manage, you know, at that time, we probably, it was a growing law firm, 20, 30 lawyers each had files. And he would look and see which files had the most money in the ledger, in the case ledger, who had spent the most money on the file, uh -huh. taking depositions. Cause, and, he, and, and instead of the opposite of him saying, hey, you're spending too much, he's like, keep spending. Because if you're spending money, you're getting that case ready for trial. Yep. And uh, he taught me. We're going to have these cases settled pre-pandemic, obviously, in a year. A year from the date that lawsuit is filed, we're going to have them resolved. And if you didn't have them ready for trial, there was problems. And so that has always been my mantra when I left them was we want to close files out in a year from the lawsuit. Yeah, that's always I, – I, we were there, and then we've kind of slipped off, and the pandemic's not helping. I, I really want to get back – back there though it can get kind of hard in some trucking cases where your clients you got to file right away to keep the documents but your clients are just treating and you know you don't know whether it's going to be a surgery case or not for you know for sometimes 10 12 months but other than that i mean there's really no reason a case can't be ready for trial in a year right All right so that was it you know pushing trials and then just going in there and having to and and watching good defense lawyers do what they did uh -huh. I learned a lot from the defense bar. So at some point after you left Michael, you got a $33 million verdict? Actually, before then, we started trying a case in Duval County, which was a friend of mine's. It's a very tragic situation where a friend of mine's father was at a hunting lease in Duval County in an RV trailer. And I had just opened my firm and I left Watts' firm with zero files. And uh, my buddy called me, and he's an Aggie like I am, went to A&M. He was in the Corps with me, and he was actually a war hero. He was a chopper medevac pilot, and his dad was the highest-ranking enlisted man in the Army. He served in every conflict from Korea to uh, Desert Storm 1. 
uh, command sergeant major in, in the army and he was in an RV trailer. And when he got up in the morning, the RV exploded had a propane leak. And the first thing that uh, command sergeant major would do in the morning would, would uh, light a cigarette. And so when he lit that cigarette, the trailer blew up. And uh, my buddy asked me to look into it. And he was uh, command sergeant major was airlifted to Brook Army Medical Center, which what it was called at the time. He lived for about 20 days and tragically passed away. Mm. Uh, and then I start looking into that case, uh, called the fire guys. And, you know, from doing fire cases that there's no such thing as a, as a cheap uh, no. evaluation of a fire case. But here is a friend of mine, uh, great Americans, both the dad, the entire family, wonderful people. So I call in uh, Mike Schultz out of Illinois at the time to come look at the trailer. I call uh, Tim Dunn out of Georgia to come look at the gas system. And they come do this investigation, and then I'm just starting my law firm. I'm on my own, and I'm spending on these experts. And, and the sheriff's department from Duval calls me, and it's a deputy. And he says, hey, Gara, I got to tell you, when we got into the trailer after uh, Sergeant Major had been airlifted, we found a burner in the on position. One of the gas burners was in the on position. And so I was like... Obviously, you know, Sergeant Major had left the stove on by accident. And so all my, you know, thoughts about, well, this is a defect or design defect or, you know, there was a leak in the propane system or something that caused this explosion. I just couldn't believe what I was being told. But he goes, yeah, that's, that's what we found. And he actually had videotaped that the first arriving officer videotaped the, the gas. There was no flame, but it was emitting gas. And so I didn't know what to tell my buddy. And I was, you know, start, I get on Google by two in the morning. I can't sleep. I get on Google. I type in this trailer manufacturer. I type in the oven manufacturer. And it turns out that in um, Australia, the same company sells the same exact trailer, except their, their stoves in Australia have what's called a, a flame failure device. So that in case the flame goes out, it shuts off the gas. Oh, wow. So that, that exact same trailer with the exact same stove in Australia had this safety device that the American trailers, because they weren't required by law, didn't have. It saved these manufacturers 99 cents per burner, not to have a, a thermocouple protected burner on. And so, um, of course, that case consumed me for the next uh, 10 months. We got it set for trial. And, um, and one thing I wanted to visit with you about in, in that case and, and, and in this latest case settlement that we were able to achieve in another fire case, you know, I understand what my limitations are. And I've never considered myself a great brief writer, law guy. And there's very, you, for example, are a great law guy and a great trial lawyer. Watts is the same way. He's a law guy and a trial lawyer. Um, there's a lawyer, uh, Roger Bra. Remember Roger Bra? Yeah, he was the same way. He was a, he was a great law guy and a great trial lawyer. But I'm not that. I just <laughs> I, I can't stand having to brief and figure out the law because part of me thinks it's all fiction anyway. It just disgusts me because I'll know you know well you have a, a Supreme Court that's situated you know in this regard, so they. They get a result, then they figure out a way to justify it or whatever. You know, it just it's, it sits hard with me, so I, I can't get into it. So in that case, that, that flame failure trailer case, I hired John Sanger. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's a great law guy. And I said, John, I, want to, I mean, I'm cutting you in on this file. I think it's a big file. I want you to do all my paper. I want you to, I want you to overpaper these guys. And here we had the biggest defense firms in America, defending it, you know, at least 10 lawyers um, that we were going against with these big firms. And Sanger did an amazing job uh, with his briefing, with responses to dispository motions and expert challenges. And we ended up settling that case after a week of trial um, for an amazing result for my clients and including trailer manufacturer agreeing to include these safer alternatives and future models. 
Well, that's incredible. So we had a really great result, um, but I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not hired a law guy to to take that off of my plate, number one, and uh, give us the confidence that we could just keep a, a verdict, at least in at the fourth court of appeals in San Antonio. Yeah, what I found is even if I can do both the briefing and the trial stuff, it's more like I have the intellectual capacity to do, to do it. It's more energy than I sometimes have at the age of 51, uh, especially on a big case, because this is the law. I mean, they pay for you so much can get all consuming. You really need to focus on the story and on how to tell the story. And, you know, getting someone else to do that is really invaluable. Uh, and Sanger is one of the smartest people I know. So that was a good choice. So he did a great job first in this file. And this latest uh, case that we were able to, to settle out of the port of uh, Brownsville, which was all the fire, uh, death, and injury case, we had Roger Reed. Yeah. And Roger Reed was our law lawyer. You know, he was a Harvard undergrad and a brilliant lawyer, and who's been to the Fifth Circuit a million times, been to, uh, he's just a brilliant law lawyer. And, and right away in this latest case, the uh, defendants filed a Limitation of Liability Act, which gets you. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the case first? That way we can kind of put it into perspective. So, I mean, because a lot of us, we, we got a lot of lawyers here that, you know, we do car wrecks, maybe a little med mal, but this is a, when you add a, a ocean going vessel, even if it's at port, you add a whole list of complexities uh, and other legal doctrines from maritime law. So can you just give us a little factual background of the case and then kind of go through what these issues are and how you overcame them? Yeah, uh, the world's largest to inshore barge corporation. And I'm going to try to keep names out of it because there's yeah. some confidentiality involved. But this world's largest barge company had sent a barge to the port of Brownsville to have uh, be dismantled, shipbreaking. And there's a shipbreaker in the port of Brownsville. And really, Brownsville is the only place in America that's doing deep water barges. Uh, for dismantling, and they're doing aircraft carriers. So they've got guys, uh, blue-collar guys, working guys out of Brownsville, come with cutting torches, and they cut up this stuff, and they recycle steel. And it, it basically the only place in America that's still doing it. Most uh, ship dismantling is done offshore. And so this uh, barge company sends a barge to Brownsville to be dismantled. And in the process of the dismantling, there's a... Uh, fire these guys are using an electric sawzall cutting heating coils on the bottom of the barge and um, there's a flash fire and unfortunately uh, one of the gentlemen was burned over 80 percent airlifted to uh, san antonio military burned samsi now Um, and and he lived for nine days i believe and then passed away and then my client who was helping him uh, in there uh, had significant burns to his legs and uh, required skin grafting and all that stuff. Um, But he survived. And so um, uh, the other lawyers involved in the case were uh, Conrad Bodden, a man you know well, Eddie Trevino. Yeah. um, uh, Roger Reed, who I brought in on the team as the law guy. And, um, Ray Thomas, he's a fantastic trial lawyer out of McAllen. And it really, that's one of the things I wanted to share with you uh, today and, and those listening. And we talked about in, our early, in my early career how I had to prove to myself that I could handle an eight-figure file on my own because I had to prove it to myself. Yeah. And, and, but now I don't, have it to, I don't have to prove it to myself anymore. And if it helps my client to bring in somebody like Roger Reed to do the briefing or, you know, to, to bring in some uh, highly advanced engineer to help me on the technical issues. I don't mind doing that now. And it's, uh, it makes the process so much more fun, so much more enjoyable because you have four, three or four guys that you can brainstorm every major issue with. Uh, if you travel to depositions, you get to go have a good dinner, cold yeah. bed. So it was a lot of fun, and and we had a great team on this most recent case. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. 
If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. But right away, the ship owner, who is now the ship dismantler, filed a limitation of liability act, got us removed to federal court. That would, could have been devastating to the file. You know the difference. Um, if that could limit any recovery to the value of that scrap ship. Instead of exactly against the ship owner, you can only get the value of the ship, and the value of that ship was a million dollars. And here we had guys who were catastrophically injured and surviving family members, and it was obviously a very valuable file. So that that would have really knocked us out of the park. But um, Roger was able to find some great law that said if it's uh, no longer a vessel, it's a dead vessel, then they're not entitled to that protection. And this. This uh, explosion or flash fire had occurred uh, after parts of the bow had been removed by torch. So um, the trial court, a great federal judge in Brownsville, uh, Judge Oveda, didn't hesitate to deny the limitation of liability. They took it up to the Fifth Circuit, and the Fifth Circuit basically just agreed with everything our brief said, Roger's brief said we were back in state court, and we were fortunate that we landed in, in Judge Sanchez's court. You know, I, I went to high school with Judge Fulvetta. Conrad Bowden used to practice with me, and Judge Sanchez used to work for Conrad and me. <laughs> yeah, so I know you know these players. <laughs> Judge, Judge Sanchez is a one. I had never been in front of him before. He's a great judge. Great judge. But really what he is, he was fearless in that he, he let us pick a jury in this case. And without that jury selection, it would never have been resolved. And I think the defendants were counting on it getting bumped into 2023 in the forever land. Um, and so this judge actually worked. And, and we had a big, we had a hundred person panel and we did it in the central jury room in Cameron County. Was this during and, the pandemic? Um, it was uh, in June of this year. So they, uh, as soon, I think that the Supreme Court had ruled that June 7th, uh, my dates escape me a little bit now, but the, they said June 7th is the last day of the emergency order. And so we were allowed to do it in person as long as we did social distancing and masks. And uh, it was a wonderful experience to pick a jury. Uh, well, I thought I, we're pretty confident we were the first civil jury selection in South Texas. You were. I know that for a fact. There, you are the only one that has happened in Cameron County by then. I think Judge Magianis may have done one since then, but not very many have happened. <laughs> and the district clerk did a great job uh, sent, allowing us to get these people in. We actually agreed with the defendants on a 12-page uh, jury questionnaire that we mailed to the panel before. We got it back. We knew so much about everybody uh, on that panel and who we thought would be against us. We were able to, I was able to target my Vordire to those people to, to get um, responses that I thought would land, uh, give ammunition for strikes cause. And yeah. we ended up getting a, um, well, if you don't mind, I'll tell you about that jury selection. Yeah, please. And not just the, how it went, but the, how you, how you did it safely. Now that we're back in, I thought we were done with this pandemic, but now that the Delta's back, I want to know, I'm, I'm hoping to pick a jury in North Carolina in three weeks. So. Well, one of the most important things we did on this, on that file, on the, on the barge explosion was, hired Melissa Gomez out of uh, Philadelphia. Uh, have you worked with her yet? Not yet. She's a PhD jury consultant from Penn. She's brilliant. She's been on so many high profile cases and both plaintiff, defense and criminal, helping lawyers get juries that they want. But in this case, we did a, a two day, 36 person mock trial. Uh, which was invaluable. I mean, we just learned so much about our file, and it was a trial. Uh, we had to put on witnesses. We had to do opening statements. And so we were so well prepared for the actual trial when it came because we had done the mock trial. Yeah, what did that cost you, though? 
If you don't mind me asking. No, I don't. It, we ended up spending, I, when it was all said and done, when you included hotel rooms, because she brought a st staff of six or seven people. We all, each of our firms had our staff there and food uh, and a couple cold beverages. At the end of each yeah. Time. Probably about 80,000 bucks. Well, that's actually not that bad. I mean, I've seen consultants charge as much as 30 for just a focus group, so I can see. It was, it was, and for me personally, what, what it did for me is the, what, the feedback we got from these three jury panels, it allowed me, it gave me the confidence to ask for huge numbers for non-economic damages in Vore Dyer, which is the scariest thing. Yeah. For me personally, as a trial lawyer, is the Vore Dyer, because you, me personally, I have, uh, I guess some, to some extent, most of us have insecurities when we're out there in front of a group of a hundred people. And, and one of the best things I ever learned as a trial lawyer was watching you give a CLE on, on jury selection and opening statement where you said that you have people in the audience when you're practicing say things, negative things about you while you're trying to, yeah. so, you can, so you can fight off the encroaching thoughts that come into your brain when you're supposed to be communicating. It, it, it's so, painful, but it, but it works. <laughs> well, I, I didn't go to that, but, <laughs> but what it did is it taught me, Hey, you're not the only one that has these fears. Right. So, and we had done the, the Vordire both in the mock trials and in, in front of our own focus groups, but having these, these numbers come from, people who we thought were going to be exactly what our jury was going to look like that came back and said, we can award a hundred million dollars for pain. We can award a hundred million dollars for disfigurement. We can award these numbers. Gave me the confidence to do it, but I was still a little bit queasy because we had agreed as a team. And in Vordire, I told the panel, well, before that, we said, what are we going to ask? What is our number to ask for? And we want to do it. We got to expose it in Vordire. So we said 350, 350 million bucks was what we were going to ask for. And, and all the lawyers on our team, seasoned guys, you know, 25 year lawyers or more, um, including, I, I think I meant, I might have left him out, Eddie Trevino, the county judge. Okay. And so I told the jury panel, I said, look, we've got a team of mostly bald guys who've been doing this for a lot of years, over, you know, 100 years. In, together combined and we think that the combined value of this case for both families is i think i asked 250 to 350 million dollars uh so that was the ask that i i came up with at the end of, and it took a lot of for me personally to, yeah. to that kind of money knowing that i'm going to get people throwing hand grenades at me and sure enough you know 25 percent of the panel raise their hands that we, under no circumstance could we ever consider awarding that type of money. And we went through the, the magic words and got, I got them all to commit that under no circumstance could they do so no matter what the evidence shows, no matter what the uh, judge instructs you. And most of those jurors or prospective jurors are strong. But when we were coming down to decide who was going to do more dire and so a process where we were all kind of like lined up and one of the paralegals said, who's going to do more dire? And everybody but me stepped backwards. <laughs> I was like looking around, it was just me. But what I did that morning is I get butterflies. And so I have to be the first one at the courthouse. And I don't care what time it is. I have to be there when they unlock the door. I just cannot stand the thought of being getting there late. So I got out of the hotel room about 4.30 in the morning. I was saying my prayers and, and, and uh, my prayer when I try cases is that the good Lord's uh, justice be done, not mine. And I, because, you know, even I always feel that that's a great prayer because I don't under, I don't necessarily know what's the right always. And sometimes right. I'm clouded with my competitive zeal, but I want justice to prevail. And so I'm, I'm meditating, I'm praying. And then eventually I, Start heading to the courthouse about 5.15, and I, I had a CD of Nick Rowley mm -hmm. in my car, which I had never played before, but I had it in my car, and I put it in in the parking lot. It was a DVD, and it's playing on the screen of my vehicle. 
And that guy gave such a compelling speech. I highly recommend it to all the listeners. If you're on the plaintiff side and if you're on the defense side, watch his presentation to the California trial lawyers about Vordire and jury selection. And it was like he was talking to me and he said, go in there and just talk about money and, and put your fears away. And, and he talks about how you go in there and you look at the jury panel and right away you start judging books by their cover and you have all these thoughts. Oh, that's a Republican. He'll be horrible. Or this is, you know, a tort reformer. They'll be horrible. And so I, I unbelievably, this is the true story. I put that DVD in just happened to be in my in my vehicle. What happened was I keep the Holy Rosary on my CD player. And I had been saying the Rosary, just meditating. And I, when I, I pushed eject and I put it, I was putting it back in the CD cover and there was Rowley's CD in there. I had never listened to it. So I played it and he and he starts talking about Lord Iron. It just I, I wanted to jump out of my car. I could not wait to have that panel so I could talk to him about money, which is the thing I hate talking about the most, especially huge money. You know, and it was it was um, great. It was a great deal. And we ended up uh, we picked that jury, I think, on Friday and by and we were going to start evidence on Monday. And by Saturday night at midnight, you know, we were able to resolve the case. So what's something else you did that helped put pressure on on the defense uh, in that big explosion case at the court? Well, you know, most jurisdictions uh, from coast to coast have laws that, that create a duty for insurance carriers to, to use good faith in settling cases. And in Texas, as you know, obviously, we call it the Stowers Doctrine, which uh, says that if a insurance company refuses to settle a case, it's a reasonably should have been settled within policy limits that the insurer can sue that carrier and they can be on the hook for the entire amount of verdicts, even above their policy limits. But it's an ever-changing, very dynamic uh, area of law, in my opinion. Um, and so one of the most important things we, we did in our case, and there were several different policy layers. I've never seen insurance coverage like like we had in this this case, and we hired coverage lawyers and to guys and gals that specialize in reading insurance contracts to help us draft our Stowers demand or our demand letters to the carrier. Because if you don't phrase it right, as you know, then there's really no pressure because you've not made a demand that creates a duty on them to settle the case. And so we hired coverage lawyers to assist us in that process. And, and that really came uh, paid off at the end. And I actually had lawyers on the other side tell me, hey, look, your demand letters were expertly done. How'd you do it? And of course, I told them I didn't do it. You know, I had so-and-so <laughs> at a firm that's charging me $150 an hour to do it. I just signed it. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, there's all kinds of things, let's say, wasting policies. If they're spending money on the defense of the, of the case or on legal fees and you demand the entire X amount of coverage, but they don't really have that amount anymore in their policy, well, then that's not a valid demand. Right. And so uh, and nowadays, I think most people in Texas anyway are, are utilizing the stair step method where you have to make a demand on the primary carrier or on the self-insured retention and then the primary carrier and then the next layer. And it has to be a stair step timed sequence uh, so that when you're making your ultimate demand, that carrier has the complete authority to settle the case because every carrier before them has tendered their limits. And so um, that's crucial. And so doing that in, in this case really, really paid off. Yeah, and it's really hard to get any pressure until they you can get the, them to tender. Now, unfortunately, in Texas, we can't get them to pay us as we go. They just have to tender it on to whatever they have to the next people and say, it's, a, it's your baby now. Right. There's some space right. where you get to settle with each layer at you know as you go, and then that's a lot of fun. Cause, oh, I imagine. I've never, <laughs> had that. I've never had that. Place. I haven't been able to do it. I know it exists, and I know Louisiana, you can do it. I think there's a couple others. So that's, I'd, like, I'd like to do it, but unfortunately... Haven't been there yet. I've got a Louisiana case. I'm hoping that maybe we'll get an opportunity. Uh, one other thing you told me about, you know, when we were getting ready for this is great experts were also important in that case. Tell me about that. 
we had great experts who, um, who, who are great people. They're just good guys. They're good guys, good ladies who want to do the right thing, who aren't just trying to get a six-figure fee from the lawyer. Um, yeah. They really work hard. And we had great fire cause and origin experts. We had great engineers. We had um, just great experts that were uh, that we put up in front of our mock trial juries uh, to get feedback on. Um, and that was crucial in our case, to have the right experts. Absolutely. The wrong expert can mess up a case quickly, especially if they have an ego. You know, not all experts would do the mock trial, for example. So I'm like, I don't need to do mock trial. I've testified lots of times. And those are the most dangerous ones. I think they know more about the law or about persuasion uh, than, than you do. Uh, you know, I have, I'm, I'm getting ready for an arbitration trial. I'm doing my partner Mallory on Wednesday. And one of our experts, great guy, I put him on before. You know, he's one of those, like I say, he's just a fantastic expert. He testifies well. But he's like, well, do you want my office to do the PowerPoint? I'm like, no. Because I said, look, you're really awesome at bomb mechanics. You're not really awesome at, at communications and, you know, right. communications and PowerPoint. Uh, right. And so if you want me after the trial to go over, you know, how we, how you can improve your PowerPoints, that's fine. But I don't want to pay you to do a PowerPoint that I'm going to throw away. But he was cool <laughs> with it. I mean, we've worked together and he was all right with it. You know, some experts would get all, no, you need to use my PowerPoint. And this is how you need to find the case. And I'm like, got like 20 things on one slide and eight of them are like calculus formulas. No, we're right. not doing any of that. Uh, but you got to, you know, find the right experts. I did listen to your podcast on Beyond Bullet Points, which I thought was fascinating. And I oh, had Cliff actually is, read that book. It's, it's great. Cliff was, was wonderful. I, I've, you know, I have gotten so much out of doing this podcast. I've gotten to speak to, to you, to Cliff, to Raleigh, to so many people and learn so much. Uh, it's a little overwhelming. I'm trying to put it all to use. And it's like, so it's awesome. Work. And I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be here. I've seen the list of names that, and I've heard so many of them. And you've got superstars. I don't, I'm not in their league, but it sure is an honor to be on this podcast. Well, you've had recoveries that are in their league. And so you've, you've done a great job, Mike. And I've, you know, I've known you for a long time and it's, it's great to have you on here. Uh, what do you think it is that insurance companies never offer what I call real money or top money until you're actually down there and the, you either you're about to pick the jury, you've just picked the jury, or you're you know halfway through the trial kicking their butt? Well, I had, I had a defense lawyer who you know very well, uh, who's a good friend of ours, who's the most seasoned of defense lawyers in the state bar. Tell me, 99.9% of these lawyers are not going to want to do the work. And they're and these carriers know that. And they're, they're going to say, and if you multiply it times thousands of claims nationwide, they save tens and hundreds of millions of dollars by holding back top dollar until there's a jury in the box, until they are 100% sure they're actually going to trial and that you've got the guts to do it. Yep. And that, that he says it's no secret. I'm not telling you any secret recipe. He says you've got to go in there. You've got to pick trial juries. You've got to take verdicts. Otherwise, you're never going to get paid what they what they already have set aside to pay the claim. They they have that money set aside. And what another thing that he taught me and and he told me to read uh, read the Oracle of Omaha. What's that guy that invested? Warren Buffett. Yeah. He said, read Warren Buffett's article called Float, F-L-O-A-T, the concept of float. And I think Buffett bought Geico. He did. And he talks about how they money, uh, how they make money, and they hold the money as long as possible. And that's how they make money. So if they, if this defense lawyer, or not the defense lawyers, they don't, it's not their call anymore, under, yeah. except under weird circumstances. I don't think defense lawyers have much to say in, in how much you get paid. It, it's committee, especially on these big, bigger files. Uh, but they're going to hold this money as long as possible. They're making interest on that money every day. So the longer they hold it, the less they actually pay. So uh, that, the article by Warren Buffett on float uh, yeah. opened my eye. Absolutely. So you all were able to get that resolved. Uh, I guess then you said like midnight. That's funny. Yeah. I did one. It was about 11, 15, 1130 on a Saturday night uh, yeah. earlier this year. And that's when it got resolved. And, and uh, oh, one of our fears in the case was, and we only had 14. We had 12 jurors and two alternates. And the judge had told all the parties that two of the jurors were waffling about showing up on Monday. 
we, I don't know if it was COVID fears or work or whatever. And we were thinking, man, if we don't, you know, if we don't get this panel on Monday, who knows when we're going to go again. And so that was uh, from our perspective, why we had to do it, but it was a great recovery for our clients. So it was one of the most fun. uh, And uh, it was a very just case. It was a righteous case. Some really uh, bad facts that, yeah. that caused this explosion should never have happened to you. Know. How do you run your life in such a way that you're able to put in the time that a case like that, you know, you said you did multiple focus groups, you did a two day mock trial, worked with experts, practice. I mean, how do you put in the time? Well, now at this point in my career, um, I'm blessed to say that I'm able to focus on just a handful of files now that really motivate me and that I, and that kind of fall in, in what I do a lot of, which I call fugitive gases, whether explosive gases or toxic gases that escape and kill people or hurt people real bad. And so I, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to focus on those type of cases. I only have a handful of cases and I'm an empty nester now. Uh, you know, my youngest is in college. And so my wife and I get to travel together now doing depositions. She's with me a lot. And now we can work remotely and not married to the office. So we don't have to be in the office. It frees up a lot of time. How, how did you learn then? I mean, you, you only work in a handful of cases. I'm sure you get offers for all kinds of other cases that you don't take. How did you learn to say no? Well, be honest with you, I, I don't get a lot of calls. Uh, I'm not real. Uh, I don't have a big media presence. Uh, I'm not marketing a lot. So I, I don't get a lot of calls. I used to, I get a lot of medical malpractice calls, which I don't handle anymore except for baby cases. Cause I, yeah. uh, but I, I just, I, it just falls in that way. I really don't have an answer. I, I mean, I don't take, well, I like to work with a lot of young lawyers too. And so for car wrecks and things that I, I'm not doing anymore, but I think are good cases that, that need to be filed. I work with a lot of young lawyers and I, and I tell them, Hey guys, you ought to, or tell this caller, call this young lawyer. He'll do a good job for you. He's motivated or she's motivated. Yeah. Uh, and I like to mentor lawyers and I give them free advice. I don't take a fee on that file or anything. And, um, and it usually, you, you know, develop relationships. And really all my business comes to me just from relationships that I, yeah. that I have um, in the community or with lawyers. It's just trust, really. Enjoying the episode? Do you wish you had Trial Lawyer Nation on the go? Well, wish no more. The Trial Lawyer Nation app is available now exclusively on iOS devices. Access our entire podcast library, create a favorites list, search for old and new episodes, and much more. It truly is Trial Lawyer Nation at your fingertips. Download this free app now and enjoy the top legal podcast for plaintiff attorneys wherever you go. So there's one thing, you know, you, let's say uh, one of our listeners is fortunate enough to get a, you know, a possible monster case, you know, one of these eight figure plus cases. What's the one piece of advice you could give? That's a, that's a, so much. I mean, if it's their first really big file, especially if you're a general practitioner or like I was when I started out, when I was trying criminal cases and we had a big Actually, it was a, a vacuum truck exploded, killed a guy. The key energy actually was vacuum truck exploded. The rear hatch came off and killed a, a, a man, a dad who I'd likened to Troy Aikman. He was a superstar of his family. And uh, I called other lawyers that had experience, but most, most importantly, that I trusted. Because I've seen the nightmares where a young lawyer uh, will call a, a more seasoned lawyer who's had experience and may, had the verdicts, had the recoveries. And then they get, you know, hosed, right? And that yeah. happened. You've seen it. And some of my close friends have had experience when it comes time to get checks in the mail. They're like, hey, that wasn't our deal. And then there's some. And so it's really call someone you can trust. You get a handshake on and, and, and you can like yourself, you know, somebody you can just trust to do, a, to work it hard, to put the client first, no matter what and to live up to their part of the deal. And it's going to include you in the process because 
I learned how to do it by working with other lawyers, right? So if you get a great file and you're, and you're new to that area of law, work with someone who's going to bring you to take you to every deposition, give you responsibility and, and bring you in the fold. Yep. And actually those of us, you know, that like you and me, we actually enjoy doing that. It's, it's fun to work with another lawyer. It's a, it's a, it's the best. It, and, and really I tell all these young lawyers and I tell even seasoned lawyers that I'm working with, it's the process that's enjoyable. The, the verdict or the checks or whatever, they come and go. But what you remember about a file is, hey, remember when we took that deposition in Eagle Pass? Or remember when we found that witness? And I really enjoyed doing the third party off the grid discovery, which is really where the where the, uh, you can blow a case wide open is on in, in the investigative process. What do you mean by third party off the grid discovery? I, I had a case, it was a, a trucking case where a truck came into the, my guy's lane head on catastrophic burn injuries. And um, I knew that the driver had a substance abuse problem. He was from a small town in South Texas up in the brush country. And, and I knew the guy had a substance abuse problem, but it hadn't surfaced in, in all the traditional discovery. And so I went to a bar in a town between Heavenville and Laredo. And it's the only bar. And at five o'clock, all the workers went in there and, and I was having a cold beer, wondering how I'm going to figure out this case. It's hot. And, um, and this guy came up to me, obviously a roughneck. And he says, hey, are you Pepe Guerra's brother? And I have a brother who's a rancher and cowboy. And we look the same, except he's got better hair. I said, yeah, he goes, yeah, Pep's a good guy. And he said, what are you doing here? He asked me, and I said, well, I'm just coming back. She's actually coming back from deposition. I've got this case with this, this guy's a driver. You know who this guy is? He goes, yeah. And I said, man, I, I hear he's addicted to synthetic marijuana. And that was when you could buy this. The synthetic right. marijuana, you could buy it in, in stores, and they called it potpourri. And it didn't show up on the drug test necessarily. Right. Yeah, and that synthetic weed didn't show up on drug tests. So I knew he was impaired when he crossed the center line, but I couldn't prove it because it, none of the medical records, none of his toxicology showed it. And this, this roughneck who was friends with my brother uh, says, yeah, I know that guy. He's a, he's a doper. Matter of fact, I have pictures of him uh, <laughs> on his cell phone. He had pictures of this driver in his company uniform with a bag of the synthetic weed and a pipe in his hand, a, passed out in a company truck. So he's like this, <laughs> holding the weed. And so, uh, you know, that was just an incredible yeah. So I said, do you mind <laughs> texting me those photos? <laughs> And of course, you know, that filed uh, that file, I mediated that case with a famous uh, mediator, Bob Thornton out of San Antonio. Yeah. Remember Bob? And uh, at, at mediation, he's telling the adjuster from New York, uh, and they were trying to call our bluff on a number and uh, eight figures. Right? And uh, Bob asked the adjuster in front of the room full of everybody, my clients, that defense lawyers, the adjuster, he goes, hey, you got friends in the insurance business, I hope. And the adjuster looked at him. He goes, why? He goes, well, I just hope you got a lot of friends in the insurance business because after this verdict, you're going to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a true story. He told that adjuster from New York that. <laughs> of course, you know, we mediated until about 1130 at night, case got seven. That's awesome. Hate to tell war stories, but also it's part of the fun. That's part of the fun. And, and I think the, the fact is those are war stories that we can learn from because the, you know, they talk about us having all the risk, but behind every nuclear verdict was an adjuster who made a bad decision. Um, exactly. And really, truly, they do have the risk of getting fired. When you, when you put the adjuster at risk and their livelihood, they're going to look at, they would rather pay you money than get fired. Uh, and, but you have to be, they have to see that you're not going to blink first. Exactly. And, done, and that you've done the work. I mean, you can't go in there and, and, and not be prepared for trial. That doesn't help much either. Right. And I, I've recently been hired by a, a defense friend of mine to uh, consult on a file where their, their firm is being sued for legal malpractice. And it's in a venue close to where I live. And he asked me to 
consult and try the case if they have to go to trial on the defense side against an insurance carrier suing a defense law firm. Oh, wow. And so I've learned some really crucial information in that process uh, about the communications between defense lawyers and, and insurance carriers. And, and this guy is saying, hey, you know, we, we are telling this is a dangerous case and a dangerous verdict needs to be settled. And this carrier wasn't heeding their advice. And so there is risk, you know, there's risk on the other side. Yep. We just got to keep that in mind. Uh, I guess last question, call your shot, October 9th. Who wins the football game? Uh, the Aggies win. We win by 10 points. We win the national championship. You heard it here on Trial Nation. All right. <laughs> I pray that that's right. I'll be there yelling. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Well, Michael, thank you so much for, for coming on. Oh, one last thing. If someone wants to get a hold of you, uh, especially if they have a case with any kind of gases like carbon monoxide poisoning and explosion, flash fire, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? My website has my cell phone, uh, michaelamgarra.com. It's got my cell phone on it. And that would be the one last thing I would tell young lawyers, young, especially in our business that are out there, have your cell phone on your card and give it to everybody. Every relative, every family member, every friend, have your, they should have your cell number programmed in your phone. Because when they have that big event in their life or their friend has a big event in their life, they're going to make one call. And if you don't answer it or you're not in their phone, they're going to the next number in the phone. Uh, and I've, I've had that happen both ways where I didn't answer the phone. My wife and I used to have problems at dinner because I had my phone on and she'd say, don't answer during. And I say, babe, we make, you know, I'm paying for college because I answered my cell phone <laughs> and uh, there's times when I didn't answer it and they went to the next lawyer. And I've had people call me and said, Hey, well, I called so-and-so he didn't answer. You're interested in this file. I'm yeah, I'm there, you know? Yeah. So uh, everybody has my cell phone and it's on my website. Um, so anybody ever wants to call me, I'd love to share uh, our jury questionnaire that we used in this last case. I'd share that with it. It was wonderful. Uh, any of the experts we used, including Melissa Gomez out of Philadelphia for mock trials, it's, I'll share anything. I, I enjoy sharing. Me too. I think that's part of what makes it so fun to be a plaintiff's lawyer. Thank you, Michael. Well, Michael, you know, thank you for coming on. Congratulations uh, for all your success. And I, I look forward to hearing about your next big hit. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.